traffic jams, tailgating, pile-ups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute. Welcome to the Contrarian Investor Podcast. We give voice to those who challenge a prevailing sentiment in global financial markets. This podcast is for informational purposes only. Nothing on this podcast should be taken as investment advice. Guests were not compensated for their appearance, nor do they supply payment in order to appear. Individuals on this podcast may hold positions in the securities that are discussed. Listeners are urged to educate themselves and make their own decisions. This podcast episode may have ads and the occasional announcement. To listen without ads or announcements and take advantage of a host of other benefits, consider becoming a premium subscriber. Prices start at $9 per month. Visit the website contrarian.supercast.tech. That's T-E-C-H for more information. Now, here's your host, Mr. Nathaniel E. Baker. This podcast episode was recorded on Friday, February 25th and made available to premium subscribers the following day, so Saturday, February 26th. There are a host of other benefits to being a premium subscriber in addition to getting the podcast a couple of days early. You also get them without ads or announcements, of course, and you get a daily podcast and briefing that is sent out every morning by 7 a.m. Eastern time. That's every market day morning, giving you highlights of the market day ahead, as well as a contrarian perspective on where things might trade. And so you can sign up at the website mentioned at the outset, contrarian.supercast.tech, contrarian.supercast.com works as well, by the way. And if you have Substack, you should subscribe there, contrarianpod.substack.com. Prices are exactly the same at both websites, starting around $10 a month. If you sign up for the year, you do get a discount on that. So check it out. There are a number of other benefits as well beyond just the daily podcast and getting these things earlier and without ads. So check out the websites and sign up. Look forward to speaking to you every morning then. Now let's continue with this week's podcast. Tobias Carlisle of the Acquirers Multiple, a return visitor to the Contrarian Investor Podcast. Thank you so much for returning. My it's pleasure. been a couple of years. Yeah, thanks for having me. Time coming flies, on. but I can't believe that. Yeah, it's been, a, it's been exactly actually two years, almost wow. to the day when you were on last and you raised a caution at the time over COVID and not everybody was at that time. And uh, you turned out to be right in the short term but maybe not in the medium term because we had a huge rally starting in late March of 2020 that has basically persisted until today. And now this week that just concluded, we had another bout of precipitous selling that had many people calling for Armageddon, among other things, that has now reversed. And so I'm curious about your thoughts on all this. We don't have a script here. 
Um, I know there's one stock you want to talk about a little later, but I think we can kind of, this will be our way of back ending into it. So yeah, what do you think of the, of this whole reaction today and yesterday, the bullish reaction by the markets? Uh, it's a bit gross. That's what I was saying mm. before we got on, wasn't it? That I don't really like seeing the stock market rallying when there are bombs being dropped anywhere. It seems to be, it's, it is one of those funny things though that I have noticed about the market in the kind of 20 years or so that I've been in it is that it's often the lead up to something that it's like the uncertainty is worse for the markets than this, like the worst possible outcome is better than uncertainty in, in, right. in a sort of really strange way for the markets. They prefer, you know, there's a range of outcomes before we go to war, right? One of them is not going to war, but in that intervening period in the lead up, you've got all of this uncertainty. Do we go or do we not go? And then the worst possible outcome occurs, which is going to war and the markets rally on that. It's a, it's a, it's a really odd thing. And I've seen it over and over again, you know, lots of different in, in, in individual names and in indexes. It's one of those things, like if you just, you know, you've got to buy the uncertainty, I guess. And then what do they I say? Guess. Buy the rumor, sell the news, something like that. Exactly. But it comes with risk then, right? And in this case, if we're talking about a war between nuclear armed superpowers, the risk is potentially quite literally the end of the world. And at that point, nothing will matter. What, what, do you, so, what do you buy? What do you buy in that scenario? Nothing. Get some fix it doesn't, nothing, fix it doesn't calls, matter. Fix yeah. So, and, and you know, I've talked about, but I've talked about this on, on my daily podcast for those of you who are listening and those of you who weren't considered this a shameless plug, but it seems that the, the investors have kind of made their peace with the fact that this Russia-Ukraine conflict is going to be short and is going to be resolved quickly and without involving any other countries. And so that appears to be the calculus. And also what's helped, I guess, are the, the, the sanctions that the Biden administration and others have announced that have maybe not been quite as draconian as uh, people were expecting. So maybe that's the certainty that people were looking for. Yeah, every single war that has ever started, everybody thought, oh, I'll be home by Christmas. You know, it's mm -hmm. all, that's always the line. The boys will be home by Christmas. It'll be okay. And uh, sometimes that happens, but most of the time it they, they drag on even, you know, relatively minor conflicts from our perspective being, you know, the people who aren't involved in the war don't, don't drag on uh, mm -hmm. for that long. But, they're, you know, we've, we've been stuck in lots of different countries for a very long time and world wars went on for, you know, they certainly went past every single Christmas that everybody anticipated being home by. So I that the, the risk, I guess, is that, you know, a conflict, a domestic conflict between two countries in Europe where one country invades the other, like that, that's, that's happened a few times before and it pulls in a few other nations and then everybody's mm. at war. So that would be a disastrous outcome. Indeed. If that happens. Yeah. No question. Um, you know, good for defense manufacturers for mm. if you want a really sick point of view on it, which, and, and I own a few, unfortunately, mm. but you know, I, I own them because they were cheap at one point and, and maybe now's a good time to sell them. I'm not necessarily advocating for them, but we can talk about them a little bit later. I just want to say the last time I was on, so two years ago, that was so it must have been February 25, 2020, which was just before the whole uh, COVID exactly, thing really blew I up. think that's exactly what's the date, yeah. And I think my view at the time was that there would be this sort of rolling, that it would impact earnings on a rolling basis. And, it right. would, and, I, and I think that that is exactly what ended up happening. The problem is, okay. and this is what makes investing so hard, is that the multiple didn't care. The market got that huge injection of, of money from the Fed and also 
the the fiscal stimulus. And it was just like in, injecting cocaine or Ritalin mm. into the system and the market went absolutely bananas for a few years there. And it's probably only now, or it's probably been coming back to earth for about a year because the, the, the main beneficiaries of that were all of the growthy stuff. And that's had a disastrous 12 months, like probably from February 12 last year. And it's been a better time for the stuff that I like, which is the, the cheaper real businesses that kind of plot along a little bit. So it just sort of shows that macro prognostication is really difficult. You could be sort of halfway right and just completely wrong. Yeah, you're absolutely right about that. Yeah. And, um, you know, but to your point, value was out of favor two years ago. It was even out of favor one year ago. And it's come roaring back uh, this past year, these, especially these past six months. So value investing is not dead and will probably yeah, not be life. dead again until the next big growth cycle. Do you think that we're that uh, the Nasdaq skirted? It was very briefly in a bear market. It's been in a correction for a while. Do you think we're in a bear market, or is this just a correction? Impossible to say. Mm. Um, you know, and I wouldn't. It wouldn't impact anything that I do professionally. But like just speculating. The, what what I think. So that the two, there are two the two types of crashes that you see in the market. That I would say March twenty March twenty twenty was like a flash crash the fastest descent, the biggest descent, I think exceeded 1987 in terms of its rip, you know, how quickly it happened and how far it went down and then recovered and went to new highs um, very shortly thereafter. So I, I regard that as a flash crash. The, the bear markets, which are the things that are really tough, what characterizes a bear market is this constant bounce to a lower high and then falling to a lower low. And it happens like you can go back and look at 2007 to 2009. It happened 18 times or something before it bottomed. And it's that, you know, it's this 15th, 16th, 17th time that it happens that, that finally when the last person gives up and thinks this will never rally again, that's the point when it actually happens. So you just have to be patient and find some way to sort of ignore it all. But if, if you know, it certainly seems to me that that's what we're going through now and it probably all of the indicia of that you would expect to see at the very top of a market were present or that crazy speculation in the growthy stuff like NFTs and other things like that, that that's, you know, basically Ponzi schemes and other things like, you know, even Bitcoin. I know that people aren't going to like that, but it's, I still don't think that it's got any particular utility beyond, you know, maybe money laundering and getting money out of regimes where it's where they're hostile to their own citizens so maybe it's good from that perspective but i think that the um the speculation was present that then impact the, the the bear market probably started in those really growthy stocks and it started february 12 you can have a look at an arc as the sort of emblem of that entire complex of highly growthy tech stocks that don't ever actually make any money and issue a lot of stock to keep on sort of going and so that crash has been going on for for more than a year now and it hadn't impacted the broader index because they seem to be held up by like a handful of stocks and they're they're all pretty good pretty reasonably valued you know they're expensive but they're not wildly expensive and i'd say that's like you know microsoft google facebook fang the old or fat man or whatever the whatever well, facebook's the an interesting is. scenario though that maybe i may not want to group those with the others but yeah go on well i think facebook's cheap we can come back to that okay okay too. great that's good okay. um that and and a few of them are too a few of them are cheapish 
but I think that kind of held up the index. And so the index has really only started falling over since the start of this year. Mm-hmm. And that seems to be what happens that it's localized and then it bleeds over and it becomes systemic. And then it's sort of, it's not really even a, you know, people aren't selling for valuation reasons. They're selling because they're, they're getting margin calls or they're panicking or they're rebalancing out of other stuff. And it's just, it becomes systemic at some point. And everybody's just trying to get head for the exits, which of course everybody can't do at the same time because you need buyers on the other side. So I think we could very well be in the middle of that process or in the very early stages of it. And they tend to be the crashes that I've sort of looked at on, on an average basis. They, what happens is the market tops out, spends about a year kind of drifting sideways. And then there's about six months to 12 months of, of heavy selling and the carnage. And that's the part where that's the, the bear market that registers. So 2007 to 2009, like that started in June, 2007. But the real action for that crash was Q3 2008, Q4 2008, Q1 2009. That was where every quarter of the market was off 12 or 15% or something like that. And that was probably underselling what was happening because there were bigger moves in intra-quarter than that. So that, that would be, I, I think we probably are in one now and it's probably going to play out the way that the other ones have played it. I just don't know what stage we were in. I don't know if we're 12 months in or, or if it's mm. just started. Interesting. So when did so ARC you say peaked in February 2021? So February 12, 2021. Really? Yeah. Okay. And uh huh. 156 bucks. It's down okay. more than 50% since then. Right. Okay. So, so that it's would put expensive. us now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. Right. But I mean, in fairness, though, not all of those companies are need to raise money. They aren't all of the dot com variety. Like some of these are real businesses, right? Like you think of a Roblox, you think of a I mean, even a Zoom, I guess, I don't know if that quite qualifies. You know, we're on Zoom now. Yeah, at some um, stage, like Zoom becomes an interesting value. That they're, you're you're yeah. right. You're absolutely right. Like that, that's, I'm being, I'm painting with a very broad brush there, but mm-hmm. they're, they're the, I would say the majority are characterized by the fact that they're currently losing money. And I'm not saying that in any individual instance, that's not a sensible thing to do. If you're, for many of these companies, they're, 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 their approach is to try and dominate the niche that they're in and spend as much money in the land and expand, spend as much money as they possibly can, lose as much money as they possibly can, make sure nobody else can compete. And then once there are no competitors there and they're firmly established and unable to be removed from everybody else's business systems, then they put up the price and then they become very good businesses. And I think that's what most folks who are in these things look at. They look at the size of the opportunity if we can get there. And in some instances, that will turn out to be absolutely right. And there are guys in there who would definitely know what they're doing who are in those things. Having said that, there are a lot in there that are, the thesis is predicated on exactly that. You know, they will at some stage be the next Amazon and not everything is the next Amazon. And even Amazon had those 90% drawdowns on the yeah. way to becoming right. Amazon. We hope you're enjoying this episode of the Contrarian Investor Podcast, where we give voice to those who challenge a prevailing narrative in global financial markets consider becoming a premium subscriber. For $9 a month or less, premium subscribers receive a number of benefits. Podcasts are posted immediately after they're recorded. Transcripts are made available within 24 hours. Premium subscribers get direct access to the host and access to private channels on our Discord server. They also get generous discounts to our virtual conferences and other services. And of course, there are no ads or interruptions. Visit contrarian.supercast.tech for more information. That's contrarian.supercast.tech.
supercast.tech. By the way, contrarian.supercast.com works as well. They changed it since that was recorded. And if you are on Substack, you absolutely should go to contrarianpod.substack.com and sign up there. Prices are exactly the same at both websites. Look forward to seeing you there. Let's get back to the podcast. See ya. Well, one thing though about, about this cycle is that interest rates, and we can bring these into the conversation now, they, you know, if you go, you go back to in 2007, at that point, the Fed had already raised, I don't know how many times, a lot. I think they were on a little, you know, the Bernanke Fed. I think Greenspan started it. And like for every quarter, they were, they were raising a quarter basis point for, for years. And um, so we had higher interest rates that had started to take effect and were well washing their way through the system when the real bear market started. And same in 2000, uh, you know, actually we had a, the whole bull market that preceded it was we had higher interest rates throughout the late nineties, not, not entirely, but most of it. So that's the one thing where so far all we've gotten is noise from the fed. Um, yeah. And I know they meet in, in a couple of weeks, March 16th, I think. And they basically, well, it was at one point it was going to be 75 basis points or a full percent, and now it's 25 or 50. But what do you make of the argument that the interest rates haven't um, really taken, haven't been raised yet and haven't taken hold in the economy yet? And so there, there's still a lot of room to run and, and things like growth stocks could recover. Yeah, entirely possible. But I think that the problem for the Fed is that they are way behind the, the curve this time because inflation is running so hot right now. So they, they're really going to have to decide whether they're going to look after the little people or whether they're going to keep on looking after asset owners. And I, you know, based on their track record, I guess they prefer asset owners over, yeah. over the working class. But I think that seven and a half percent interest uh, inflation with uh, like the 10 years at 2%. So you're chewing up five and a half percent. You, know, you do that for a few years, that starts getting really nasty on uh, on savers and other people. And it has been nasty on savers. So I guess we, we know which way the Fed's going to go. But I, I think that if there was some decency there, they might, you know, they might start hiking at some point to try and cool it off a little bit, or at least just take off the, you know, do they need to be buying the mortgages mm-hmm. where the property market is just white hot at the moment? Yeah, pr- probably not. Yeah. So yeah, that's that, that's true. But still cyclically, like we still are in, in a position where the money has to go somewhere and the fixed income assets aren't, I mean, they've, you know, the, the yield is, is now a little more interesting than it was at the start of the year, a lot more interesting, but it's still not much. It's still not enough to keep up with inflation. So where does one put one's money? Yeah. The Fed loves to take people up the risk curve, push people way out on, into riskier assets yeah. than they should really otherwise be in. You know, I, 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 I'm going to keep, I'm going to, it's going to sound like I'm talking my book and I am talking my That's book. That's fine. Yeah. The only um, asset class I think that offers any value is value as, as a value stocks, because they, they're the only thing that didn't really participate in the bubble. They're, they're at about their long run mean. So in a world where interest rates are at, you know, the 10 years at 2%, the long run mean in value stocks means that they're probably good relative value or the only source of relative value. And I think that given that the growthy stuff is so expensive, you know, is, is as expensive as it has ever been, even having pulled back still, rel- yeah. relative to the value stuff, probably the better value is in value. And I think that there's been a recognition of that in the market mm-hmm. already. I think it really started in 
September 2020 would be the bottom. And then it rallied and then it sort of fell back again, probably to, you know, only maybe, maybe September last year. And it's been rallying again. At some point, the value in, in the heavier industries and I think energy, you know, we, we, we've spent a lot of time talking about the Fed, but energy too, energy prices have historically been another way of popping bubbles. If $100 oil makes it difficult to run an economy, you know, that's the, that, and it may be that whatever, the, the, what the Fed does is irrelevant. It's $100 oil, it pops the bubble. And perhaps that's what's happening. And so a crisis in the Ukraine and Russia, which is a, an exporter of, of energy, that's, you know, great for energy producers, but probably not good for the rest of us. So does one buy, do you buy the big oil companies here? I think that energy has been historically cheap. Probably the best signal to buy energy was when oil went negative. Yeah. I think that was the bottom for it. Sure, um, yeah. But I think that, you know, that, that we've, under, we've, you can look at the, the, uh, the weight of energy in the S&P 500 relative to where it has been in the past. It's just minuscule. And so I think that we've been underinvesting in the sector and typically what follows underinvestment in, in a sector is super normal profits in that sector, which is what attracts capital back into it. So I think we're probably at the very beginning mm. of that cycle. And certainly when I run my screens, they fill up with energy and it's of, of every sort of producers, you know, midstream, Every, everything just sort of uh, it looks still looks pretty cheap to me in that sector. Who who really knows? Like it could be there could be a lot of volatility. It's probably got years to go before um, before that's before that idea is played out. Interesting. Okay. All right. So keep an eye on energy. Buy the dips in energy, perhaps. Now talk to me about Lockheed Martin. Yeah, Lockheed was something that I put on uh, last year, simply because this it, it, this is a a tent. It, it was too cheap for, for, for what it is. And they've, they've been pretty good capital allocators as they've gone along. The risk, with, the, the risk with defense contractors is always when a new administration comes in, there's some concern that they won't spend like the last administration does. Happily, every single administration that has ever come in has always spent more than the one that came in before it. So I think that the, that risk is low. And now it looks like, um, you know, we've got a new, we've got, We've had people panicking about COVID for two years. And just as we sort of seem to be emerging from that, we're going to start a conflict somewhere else in the world. And so I think that that'll be the thing to panic about for a while. So that looks like Lockheed Martin is a well-managed, absolutely essential contractor, um, builds just about everything that the US needs to defend itself. And so I don't think it's going away anytime soon. Having said that, I have been in it for a little while and I, and I do think that it was getting, I thought it was getting closer to the top of its range I, of, of what I thought was reasonable. So I, I have to think about that one a little bit over the next month or so. And I, I'm not sure when this podcast will come out, but it's entirely possible I've sort of exited Lockheed Martin by that stage or continue to hold it. I just don't know at this point because I haven't looked at it uh, as closely over the last few weeks. Any other defense contractors you have an eye on? No, I'm not, I'm not sort of, it's, I try not to be too kind of macro about it. It's, it's really on a case-by-case basis. I see. Okay. Sick of me yet? Become a premium subscriber and avoid all ads or interruptions. Other benefits as well. Visit contrarian.supercast.tech for more information. Okay. Well, let's, let's talk about Facebook then. Yeah. So Facebook's been an interesting one. It's, uh, 
the, the there's clearly a change in the business and, and the difficulty with with tech or any of these kind of ideas like if facebook the if the blue app becomes like myspace then the bottom is you know nowhere in sight for facebook it's it's a well, hang on let me challenge way. you on that just a second because facebook is not just facebook it's also instagram which young people still use. I can confirm. I've talked to them. What's your definition of young people? Right? Well, you know, 25 or under. Um, so, so here, but here's what happened. Here's what's happened, right? It looks like reels. Um, TikTok has overtaken Facebook as, as the preferred sort of um, social network. And, and it's not, and TikTok's not so much social as it is viral. It just, mm. you don't, you're not necessarily looking at what your friends are doing on it. You're looking at what, whoever the, whoever has the most viral image of the day. And so it's a slightly different, it's not social where Facebook has typically been social and it has now exceeded Instagram in terms of downloads. It's sort of our generation. And I'm, I'm, I don't want to be tagging you. Maybe I don't know how old we no, are. I think we're about the same age. Yeah. And it starts then, with a four. Yeah, that's right. All right. <laughs> and then, and then follow us, you know, so I got into Instagram originally because my friends were having kids and I wanted to see photos of their kids and no, nobody posts to Instagram anymore. Nobody goes on Facebook anymore. Having said that, the data doesn't seem to bear that out. When you look at the data, um, somehow Facebook's daily average users are still pretty robust and growing. So it's probably going to be okay on that front. But they've got other problems. You know, Most people access it through the Apple store. Um, Apple's getting a cut of everything Facebook makes through that through that app. You know, there's lots of other little um, problems that they have to face. So it's probably not as good a business as it was in the past. Having said that, it's still a very very good business. It's you know they don't have a lot in terms of assets and they make a lot of money on on not much. So their ability to grow and to shrink and it is uh, they've got a lot of um, wiggle room and a lot of cash. Zuck is clearly very, very smart and, and pretty good at this game. He's been good at sort of transitioning across, transition from Facebook to Instagram. Who knows about the metaverse? I don't know whether everybody wants to go back into AOL's walled garden or not. I doubt it, but maybe that is the future. And, that's, and he's a visionary tech genius. The way that I look at it, quantitatively at the moment, it's too cheap. Or that, that stock price is indicating a very large diminution in the performance of the fundamentals of that business. So when I see things like that, I think it's probably, I don't know which one happens, but the way that I run my portfolio, I'm prepared to take little bets like that where I think that there's clearly a disconnect between the stock price and the fundamentals. I'm not saying necessarily that I'm going to buy it either. I just, I don't know. It's still, it's still up in the air. Haven't, haven't made that decision yet either, but it's possible. It's sort of, it's, it, it looks like it's something that might make its way into the portfolio at some point. So I think it's, I think it's interesting. Um, it's certainly contentious, and I know there are lots of people who've got strong feelings uh, either way in relation to Facebook, but it certainly seems to me that it's either massively too cheap for where the price is or it really is going to be deteriorating a lot in a fairly near, near, near future. Hmm. All right. Yeah, I just looked here. Facebook closed at $210.48. Do you have any kind of price that you're, that you um, where it might become exciting to you i think it dipped below 200 briefly this week at one point yeah i i, I yeah, like to one idea yeah I, I think i still think it's interesting here it's 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 interesting here it's just you know that the, the, the challenge for me when i'm form, forming the portfolios is that when it comes time to buy that there may be other opportunities that that get cheaper in the interim so it's not so much where facebook is it's where facebook is relative to a few other things and there's a few things that are just sort of 
Facebook is on the edge of uh, of the portfolio right now. So if it got below two hundred dollars, it was it was exceptionally interesting. Um, towards three hundred dollars, it's 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 less interesting. But I think at two hundred dollars, it's like it's it's half price where it should be hmm. if um, if it can sustain what it's been doing. And it probably indicates too that it's the fundamentals can deteriorate by half and it's fair value. So it's got that, that's sort of the way I'm thinking about it. Yeah. Yeah. Don't forget also that Facebook is sitting on a ton of cash and I don't think they really have any debt. So they could buy just about anybody other than, you know, some huge company and, and completely transform the business if they really wanted to. And they, um, they're quite responsive. So the market, when the yeah. market, when they trade down as cheaply as this, the market is telling you to liquidate. The market's telling you that you're too big for the opportunity that mm. you're pursuing. And if you're a responsive management, you buy back stock, which is a way of liquidating the business, which is what they have been doing. So when when that happens, that means that you know management's taking advantage of the fact that they're undervalued. That's a pretty good sign that if management thinks that they're undervalued, that you know that that investors should think about that too. Mm. Yeah. Let me throw something else out there for you. If, if what if I know that actually, what if what if Facebook were to institute a dividend? How would I you prefer, think about that? I prefer buybacks uh, okay. because they're much more tax efficient, and I think that the dividend. I mean, they they need to they need to do something about the the differential taxation of dividends and buybacks, or, or mm. the fact that buybacks buybacks don't. You know, dividends are taxed at. The company earns the money. They pay tax at the company level. Then they dividend out that money, and you pay tax again as a receiving shareholder. A buyback. Um, if you don't participate in the buyback, then it doesn't impact you at all, other than the fact that you own more of the company now. Right. Okay. So yeah. So you're more of a Buffett school, where they. I know Buffett and Munger don't believe in uh, dividends. They prefer to see it invested back. In I the think business. their argument is that they're better. Stu- that- you're invested with them because it's an investment company. And so when mm-hmm. they take the money, what they're going to do is reinvest it. And so, you know, but they, they do, they do do a buyback. Buybacks are one of those things that people, again, people have pretty strong feelings about buybacks each way because so many buybacks are conducted at a premium to what the company is worth because management's trying to mop up options or they're trying to goose the stock price higher. And, and when they do that, that, that destroys value for the shareholders who remain. So you want an undervalued company conducting a buyback and Facebook qualifies on that basis. So did, so did Berkshire Hathaway when it was conducting its buyback. Sure, sure. All right, um, let's switch gears really quick. I want to raise a tweet that you just sent two hours ago at the time of this recording. NFTs are over dead as disco. This implies they were once alive. Well, there's been a lot of speculation in NFTs. Like, let's let's establish that that's the case, right? Let's stipulate that that's the case. People have bought lots of NFTs. Um, whether they have any, you know, I, like like all of these things, like anything on the blockchain, the blockchain probably does have some utility, and NFTs probably do have some utility. But I don't think that the JPEG attached to the nft you know the non-fungible token which is which means that non-fungible means you can't exchange one for the other it's unique that's the whole point of it it's a unique identifier that probably has a lot of utility like a, a ticket could be an nft that that's a great use of of an nft but having a picture that somebody sells with the idea that they're going to then sell it at a higher price in the future that that's sort of it's speculation not that there's anything wrong with that you're 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 entirely allowed to speculate. 
but the people who create these things, you know, I can create 10,000, um, what do they call them? Procedurally generated eight bit NFTs at, at, you know, I can probably find an app on the web, on the web that will do that for me. And then I can turn around and take some of my Ethereum and sell myself an NFT that I own at whatever price I want, $2 million for one of those NFTs. And I can turn around and sell you one for $200,000, which looks ostensibly like a 90% discount, except it's me who sold it to hmm. myself. So it's just a wash trade, hmm. as they call it in the stock market. Hmm. And now I've made $200,000. And I think that there's a lot of that going on hmm. in the NFTs. It's kind of like it's a, it's a Ponzi scheme or it's, a, you know, it's some other kind of scam. I, yeah. I think that the, the, the way that scams work typically is that you need a whole lot of new suckers coming in the front end. And so yep. the tweet that I sent out was just, what does Google say that the interest in, the, in NFT is like? And I've been watching it for a little while, fully expecting it to turn down at some point. And now it's turned down below where it was in November 2021, mm-hmm. which was when they were, they were getting a lot of attention. And so I think that that front end um, flow of greater fools, when that goes away, NFTs will will go away and they'll fall back to virtually nothing. So if you're in mm. the NFTs, you should be getting out of them as fast as you can, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I'm not going to, I don't want to dispute any of that because those are kind of my views on NFTs as well. But just to play devil's advocate here a tiny bit, it looks like this descent started, if you look at the searches, I wonder if that coincides with broader other macro things and if this could be just because there's been other things that are going on. But that's what all of these sort of the speculative, like that that moving feast in speculation that has moved from Mm -hmm. Tesla into um, crypto into, you remember when the bankrupt companies, anything with a Q after its name massively, and then it went into GameStop and then it went into Mm. AMC and into NFTs, that movable feast of speculation require like that it requires action. You need action in there for the action junkies to be, kind of interested in for the speculators and the gamblers to come in and when the action goes away they go away too and it, i mean that's that's what that's what drives it in the in the first instance that's what makes it sort of interesting in the first instance once that's gone it's hard to get that back i mean it's like myspace was a big thing once and nobody nobody never public, anymore yeah yeah never yeah, public. No, tom did a yeah. good job he shipped it for 700 million can't hate tom. yeah yeah no 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 yeah yeah he, he cashed out all right but he could have been so much more richer he could have been a billionaire yeah but he's, you know, he's got that instagram channel where he just goes around taking photos of beautiful places on the earth he's got oh, is that what he does? I don't even know. Okay. doesn't have to testify to congress he's won that's true that's true yeah he doesn't have to lie to congress i mean testify to congress. <laughs> yeah um and then when the uk called the uk regulators call him just not show up like Zuckerberg what, did. <laughs> what a night. Like, what would you like? There, there's probably not enough money in the world for me to, there's not enough money in the world for me to do that job. I don't want that job. I want, I want Tom's job. I would do it for a little bit and then cash out <laughs> or allow myself you to be that kind of, You know what? That kind of fame. No, you're right. I know you're right. You're right. You're right. It always looks good from the outside, but um, I don't yeah. think it looks that good from the outside. No, you're right. You're right on that too. Yeah. The, gold, yeah. the golden cage or the gilded cage or whatever it is. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, we're here talking on a Friday afternoon. I wonder what Zuck's doing. Um, who knows? But yeah, all right. So, so, but on the whole, though, you think that it sounds like you know you're you think this is kind of, there are opportunities, pockets of value that can are worth buying at this time. Is that a fair statement? I think that uh, 
value is evergreen. The, the idea of value that you're buying something for less than it's worth, that, that idea is evergreen. We go through these speculative periods in the markets and you know they're all famous booms, like the dot-com, very famous speculative peak. The last, the 2007-2009 one was a little bit more broad-based. It was like a private equity and real estate kind of speculative boom. When they happen, value tends to not do as well um, from a, on a relative basis and probably also on an absolute basis because the value investors tend to be a little bit more conservative, don't participate as much in the upside. They're probably more likely sellers before it gets, before it gets too high. And so that value will, uh, as a strategy, I think is evergreen, but it does tend to have these long periods of underperformance. We've gone through the longest period of underperformance in 200 years of data and hmm. it started sort of 2010 and it seems to have ended in you know somewhere between September 2021 and September 2020 sorry September 2020 and September 2021 so I, it's not that it's not that value through that period uh, the opportunities weren't there it's just that the opportunities weren't getting bid and so it's tough when you know I've also got when I've got a fund I'm trying to raise money on the other side too you've got to show performance to raise money to deploy money but it's a double-edged sword as soon as the performance comes along the opportunities have gone away so that's the that's the challenge. That's why we're in a good spot now where there is a little bit of performance, but it's so early on. There are also lots and lots of opportunities around. And they're going to be in stuff that's not particularly sexy to, to most investors because I'm definitionally, I'm interested in stuff that you don't have to pay very much for. And so those opportunities will look like they're money losers. They're not going to look like they're the best. They're going to be in old industries, smokestack industries, often they're capital intensive. But you know they offer a lot of protection on the balance sheet, a lot of downside protection. If we get a genuine shakeout like we have had in the past, the 2007, 2009, 2000, 2002 style shakeout, people will start worrying about the downside again. You know that's the, the aim of this game is not so much to perform in the good times, it's to survive the bad times. And so I'm always preparing to survive for the bad times. Uh, and I think they're probably here. So we this is a a challenging 12 months probably coming up, but a good one for value investors because you're going to find a lot of opportunities. And I would, I would be looking at value as a, as a good place to, to put some of my money. Oh, very interesting. We're, we're definitely going to get a shakeup, by the way. The only question is when. I mean, right. you know, there's, there's going to be another bear market at some point, whether it's now or a year from now or two or three or whenever years from now. now there's always some suggestion that the Fed has conquered the business cycle. Like that, hmm. that idea gets flooded. When they start saying time. that, then that's when you should sell because, yeah. But they, they, there's always this belief that we've got this sort of technological, um, every single advance in the market is accompanied by this like, oh, we've got better tools, we've got better data, our policies are better, the people who implemented are more rational than all of those idiots in the past. And the thing is that all of that technology and all of that rationality at some at at some point it becomes the idiots in the past and then mm -hmm. the brave new world is all, it's all there again. And I think mm -hmm. that we don't learn the lesson. It's always humans in it, which is why, you know, there's always another crash coming. And I think that a lot of the indicia of, of a speculative excess and then weakness in the markets, I think it's here. So I think we're probably in it now, mm. but you know, it could be wrong. Mm. Very interesting. Tobias Carlisle, thank you so much for joining the Contrarian Investor Podcast today, this Friday, February 25th, recording after a very eventful week. Um, in closing, maybe you could just let our, our people know where they can find you, and I'll put this in the show notes as well. Yeah, my, my, uh, I have two funds, uh, Zig, which is the acquirer's fund, which is uh, US domestic mid-cap, large-cap, deep value 
and DEEP, which is uh, US domestic, um, small and micro, and they're both ETFs. Uh, the, the, the firm is called Acquirers Funds. And I have a little website where I put up, um, it's got a free screen on it and it's got just articles and podcast links and links to my books and things like that. I'm on Twitter at Greenbacked. It's a funny spelling, G-R-E-E-N-B-A-C-K-D. I look forward to being back on in two years. So that'll No, be I'm going to have you on sooner than that. Especially, Especially if this goes against you, then I'm going to have you on. <laughs> That's what I was going to say. We can talk about all the mistakes I made. Yeah, no, well, mistakes are human too. Let's not forget that. But yeah, but well argued. Um, yeah, so that that's great. Good stuff, Tobias. Thank you for coming on again. Thank you all for listening. And with that, we look forward to speaking to you again next time. Thanks, Nate. My pleasure. Thank you for listening to the Contrarian Investor Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode. To subscribe to this podcast, simply open your favorite podcast software and search for Contrarian Investor. Follow us on social media by searching for Contrarian Investor on Twitter and Instagram. Send us your thoughts on feedback at contrarianpod.com. We look forward to speaking to you again next time. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute.